Welcome to the EMJ Podcast. I'm Dr. Ellen Weber, Editor-in-Chief of the EMJ, and with me this month is Daniel Patterson, a senior scientist at Carolina's Medical Center. Dr. Patterson is a PhD-trained scientist and a paramedic who recently authored the paper that's in our April issue called How Familiar Are Clinician Teammates in the Emergency Department. So, Dr. Patterson, I just have to say the reason I wanted to invite you on this podcast is this was a question I don't think anyone has asked ourselves in terms of emergency medicine. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for this study. Sure, and thank you for this opportunity to talk with you about this paper. My interest in teams, teamwork, and sort of the dyadic relationships between clinicians came to fruition during my fellowship in patient safety, which was funded by the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine and the Emergency Medicine Patient Safety Foundation. And also, my experience as a paramedic was a factor. Most EMS teams are deployed in dyads, So there is no question that team and teamwork is important. Often these teams, they're in the EMS pre-hospital setting, are pulled together for no better reason than simply to complete a crew uh, or to meet staffing requirements of an ambulance for a shift. And many of these teams have had no prior experience working together. They probably know very little or nothing about their partner. They may know a little bit about what they like and don't like. They probably know very little to nothing about what kind of skills they have, what they're good at, what they're bad at in terms of their clinical skills, kind of patient encounters their partner has had in the past. And sort of the lack of knowledge about your partner may invoke some fear and uncertainty about how you as a team are going to handle that next patient who may be unstable or acutely ill or critically ill. So the challenge here is, and from my own experience as a paramedic is, well, how do I deal with that? Uh, I'm sure others have thought about that maybe in passing, but how do I answer that question? And so as part of my fellowship, I began to delve into this, this team interaction, this team dynamics, this team configuration issue, and came across a lot of literature in the dyadic world and non-clinical settings, more of the social science literature. And I determined that this has been looked at in other settings, such as aviation, for example. You know, in most aviation settings, you have a pilot and a co-pilot. And they've actually looked at this and found that pilot and co-pilot teams who have had no prior experience working together are at risk, a much higher risk, of making mistakes, in particular during takeoff and landing. And some of the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, investigations, in particular some that were performed back in the 80s, determined that a large proportion of aviation crashes were linked to pilot and co-pilot teams who had no prior experience working together. And in talking with some of my mentors, in particular Dr. David Crackart, a social scientist, full professor at the Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, we determined that, well, this is something that should be looked into in medicine, in particular in the ED setting where time is a major pressure point for teams, and so that is the sort of the evolution of my interest in this, this issue. Well, it's a really interesting question for us because first when I read the title of this study, I thought it was actually going to be about the occasional consultant that walks into a critical care setting who doesn't introduce themselves, and you don't know who they are, what service they're from, or whatever, and then they start, you know, barking orders and so forth. But what surprised me about this study 
was that this was actually about our day-to-day work. So perhaps you can tell me a little bit, describe the study you did, how you did it, and what you found. Oh, of course. Um, This is more about the day-to-day work. It truly is. Now, the scenario you just mentioned about the consultant who comes in and starts to bark orders, yeah, that is another aspect of this, though, which I did not look at, and that's one that definitely should be looked at. But one great aspect of this study is the type of study design that we used and the type of data that we used to answer our question about the relationship between familiarity and the, the clinicians in the ED setting. So we used archival data. Specifically, we pulled shift records, shift scheduling records from multiple scheduling databases. And as, as a clinician in the ED, you may be familiar that maybe the physician schedules on one database, the nurses on a different database, the technicians are on another database. And so there were multiple databases that we had to access to pull the data from to determine who was scheduled in the emergency department at a given time. And because there were so many different databases that we had to go through and the format of the data were variable between the databases, we could only go back a certain number of weeks. The the labor required to pull the data together was quite intense. It was much more involved than we had initially imagined. And so what we did was we used those data and pulled out who was working when at every given moment of uh, a 22-week period and put those data into matrices using principles from social network analysis, which is what I learned from Dr. David Crackhart. And the beauty of social network analysis is that if you put these data of who is working with who, for example, and if you put these data into matrices, you can not only quantify sort of who is overlapping at any given moment of time, but you can also create visual illustrations of these interactions via a specific type of figure called a sociogram. Now, we didn't put any sociograms in our paper, but because of the way that we abstracted the data, we did have that ability, and we actually produced some just for our own purposes internally while analyzing the data. And It is actually a great way to look at this type of interaction, these relationships of team dynamics, above and beyond simply giving a statistic on portion of who are familiar in any given moment or the weekly hours of familiarity. So what we did was we used 22 weeks of data specifically, and we used these data to calculate two measures of interest. The first measure was the weekly mean familiarity between clinicians, and the second was the proportion of clinicians with a minimum of 2, 5, 10, or 20 hours of familiarity at any given hour during the study period. So the latter measure is perhaps the most applicable or the most of interest to those reading the paper. Uh, This measure helps you answer a question that I think is very intriguing. And that question is, at any given moment when you walk into the ED, what proportion of clinician dyads are familiar with each other? That's a pretty compelling question, and um, the way that we set the data up and those matrices allows us to do that. So in this academic setting, specific ED in uh, Pittsburgh, we determined that across all clinicians in the ED, the average hours of familiarity during the week was about two hours. Just to clarify, you by dyads, you meant a physician and a nurse, a physician and a physician, a physician and a tech, and that on average, no matter what group you looked at, whatever dyad you looked at, the average was two hours of familiarity. They had worked together previously for only two hours. Is that right? That is correct. So at any given dyad, and most of us, whenever we, uh, in our everyday lives, come in contact with a team, it becomes very difficult mentally to think about anything beyond a pair. 
you know, when you start to think about the multiple levels of interactions beyond a pair, a triad, beyond, beyond that, mentally taxing and trying to quantify that in our head. So thinking at this in terms of the dyad, so for instance, the doc and the nurse, the, the nurse and the tech, the tech and the nurse, you know, that kind of thing. That kind of context is much more easier is for us to digest and conceptualize. So that's one of the reasons why we kept it at the dyad level. So what we then stratified that, that familiarity across roles. So as you just mentioned, you know, nurse, 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 tech, attending, tech, attending nurse, a resident attending, resident nurse, for example. We stratified the data looking at familiarity across those different types of dyads. And what we determined was that the weekly mean familiarity was lowest for the resident, resident dyads at 0.4 hours over uh, any given week. And it was highest for the nurse HUC. The HUC is the health unit coordinator. She, he or she is the person in the ED who's helping to facilitate throughput finding the beds for the patients, moving them in and out of the ED, for example. And that, that hours of familiarity was at 5.8. Now, regarding our second measure of interest, uh, let me explain this by using sort of a question that may be germane, you know, to any patient or clinician. So if you walked into the ED and began receiving care from a physician or a nurse or a tech or other clinicians, and many of, those, many of those clinicians you encounter very quickly as you walk into the ED, what would be your assumption? So you would assume that if they worked well together and they were kind of moving along very quickly and their things were going smoothly, that you may assume that they worked a, a lot together. They do not work well together. You may assume that one is having a bad day, the team is having a bad day, or they just have had bad teamwork for some reason or another, or they just simply don't work together that often. So in these data, we determined that at any given moment, 80% of the clinicians working in the ED had at least two hours of experience working together in the past, and thus two hours of, of familiarity in the, in the, over the study period. If you push that two-hour level up, so for example, if you increase the minimum hours uh, to a higher number of hours, such as 10 hours of familiarity, then the proportion of clinicians in the ED at any given moment with 10 hours of familiarity drops dramatically to just over 25%. And if you push that up even higher, up to 20 hours of familiarity at any given moment, the proportion of clinicians in the ED at that hour that you walk into the ED with at least 20 hours of familiarity drops to less than 1%. Wow. And can you give us an idea of, like, what's, what's the right amount? <laughs> I wish I had that. So that brings it to the forefront here, like, what, what do you do with this data? Is there a benchmark or a cut point that is seen as optimal for this measure of familiarity. And so the logical next step is to obviously link the familiarity data to some sort of safety or performance outcome measure or multiple measures. And I'm currently focused on that, actually. I have an R21 grant that I'm finishing up from NIOSH, National Institutes of Occupational Safety and Health, where we actually linked familiarity data, shift scheduling data, to injury records reported to the OSHA 300 log, which is a standard reporting of injuries. And the data have been analyzed, and the findings are quite intriguing. The results are being uh, pulled together right now for publication or submission for publication this spring. And I'm very certain that the readers will find this paper that shows the linkage between familiarity and a, and a safety outcome very compelling. Very 
interesting. There's actually some older data on the volume outcome comparisons that the more surgeries you do, the better you are, and that it actually depends on what hospital you do them on. And so that also sort of argues for the familiarity aspect, not just that one is a good surgeon, but that one is working in a in an environment where people know each other and know the routine and can get the job done better. So it, it's very, very consistent with other literature. We all schedule based on, you know, our availability, and we don't do a ton of team training outside, but even if we do, given your data, it doesn't suggest we're going to overlap that much, even with people we might have trained with once a year or twice a year. So what should I do on my next shift when I go in to potentially improve my patient's outcome uh, with regard to this lack of familiarity with the people I'm working with? No, that's a great question. That's obviously well. What does these data? What do these data mean? And so everybody knows that changing practice is very challenging. I feel that we must produce a body of research that links the team configuration factors and familiarity factors between the clinicians to some safety and performance measures before those who are in charge of the policies and procedures that dictate who is on duty or who is off duty or how much we overlap is affected. And without it, there really isn't going to be any change in practice. You know, we in emergency medicine, both in the in-hospital and the out-of-hospital setting, you know, we have made tremendous strides over the past probably uh, 10 years or more, adopting crew resource management principles, pit crew approaches to resuscitation of uh, critically ill patients, specifically cardiac arrest protocols, for example. Uh, these principles are, are intended for us to overcome these uncertainties that we often associate with sort of these critical moments when we come together and like, who's going to do what? How fast do we need to do it? Uh, what is your responsibility? What is your role? You know, a major factor in the success of these approaches is, is good team leadership and good teamwork. Most of us in emergency medicine know what needs to happen. It's just the coordination of those activities. Uh, and hopefully the, the skilled people are on the floor there with you or in the back of the ambulance there with you to do that. I think the findings from, from my study here are very germane to both the code uh, patients who are uh, requiring rapid resuscitation or rapid response, but I also feel that these data are probably very germane to the less acute patients or the more mundane activities that we perform in the ED or in the out-of-hospital setting that don't require sort of that pit crew type response. You know, there's no question that good teamwork leads to positive performance and good safety outcomes. You know, our study really compels us to think about clinical teams in the ED and outside the ED and how we configure them or assemble them for everyday delivery of care. That's really hopeful, I think, if we can find a way to make this better. And I think your research is right on the right track here, something we really, as I said at the beginning, haven't really thought about. So I want to thank you for this article. I want to thank you for talking with me today and hope that your next data will spur some changes so we can even deliver better care. Thank you. I appreciate the time.